Welcome to Bright Now, a podcast about parenting and educating talented kids, sponsored by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth. I'm your host, Jonathan Plucker, the Julian C. Stanley Endowed Professor of Talent Development at CTY and Johns Hopkins University. In season two, we had three episodes on the college search process, and we wanted to follow those up with an episode in season three. A great new book on this topic just came out, and we're pleased to have one of the authors with us here today. Michael Horn is a senior partner at Entangled Solutions, a strategy consultancy for education. He is also the co-founder of the Clayton Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovation, where he is a distinguished fellow. He is the author of many popular books and other influential papers on education, including Disrupting Class, How Disruptive Innovation Will Change the Way the World Learns, and Blended, Using Disruptive Innovation to Improve Schools. Today he's joining us to discuss his new book, written with Bob Mesta, Choosing College, How to Make Better Learning Decisions Throughout Your Life. Michael, welcome to Bright Now. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really appreciative. I've wanted to have you on the uh, podcast for a while, and I really appreciate you um, you making the time to talk with us today. I, wh- one thing I really liked about this book is that you and Bob uh, directly address the need for uh, post-secondary ed in today's context. Uh, there was a story in the New York Times just over the past couple days that I really sort of illustrated starkly that in, in some segments of American society, um, education behind high school is, is almost considered a negative, which is just a trend I would have never seen coming. And then there's obviously lots of sort of think tank chatter about whether college is really necessary at all. You and Bob are very open-minded about what that post-secondary education can actually look like, but you you seem convinced that for most people, especially bright students, uh, post-secondary ed is a good thing. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there's so much conversation, as you said, about the end of college, uh, the four-year degree going away, it's, and so forth. And while those may be long-term trends in certain regards that, you know, 50 years from now we all look back at and say, oh, gee, the form of post-secondary ed looks very different. I think the reality is for most students today in, in their current situation, higher education can be unbelievably valuable yeah. uh, from a variety of factors, from what it's going to do for your earnings, from what it's going to do for your life satisfaction, from the networks and friendships you will create and so forth. And I think the evidence is somewhat overwhelming on that. Yeah. Uh, what I think is true is that starting to see again a flourishing of what those pathways through post-secondary education might look like. And the one thing I will strongly say is, it's pretty clear to me we're living in, a, in an age where everyone needs to be learning constantly. And whatever that form factor is, to dismiss uh, learning after high school is a huge mistake. As I was reading the book, it really struck me that you do this very carefully too, I think, in that it's this isn't just about speaking to your high school juniors and seniors. It really is like everyone who is high school age or older needs to be thinking about how do we learn? Like, where's the next step in uh, professional development? Even as I read it myself, I could just see the connections to like my own professional development and learning. These aren't just conversations for 17 and 18 year olds anymore. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's so interesting. We obviously chose the title Choosing College to appeal to that 17, 18 year old demographic because uh, lifelong learning is a word or phrase that we use a lot, right, in think tank land and, and, and among academics, but it's not widely understood, I think. But our hope is that as parents read this book, 
they'll realize, oh gee, this isn't just for my kid who's going through this college choosing process. This actually has to do with me right now. And people will build a deeper understanding that this is really a book around helping uh, individuals navigate the learning that is going to uh, occur constantly after high school. And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, even in my own life already, having the knowledge of what we found has helped me make better decisions, uh, both from a learning and career trajectory perspective uh, that I would not have predicted uh, as we dove into the work. Hmm. Speaking of the work that you did for this book, can you talk a little bit about the research that you and Bob did as you were putting all this together? So in the book, uh, what we did basically was this jobs to be done methodology or theory and apply it uh, to the question of why students choose the post-secondary experiences that they do. And the big part of the jobs to be done theory is essentially that people don't uh, go to college or buy a certain product or buy a certain service for its own sake. They do it to make progress in their lives bounded in some context or circumstance. And, and basically that context or circumstance is super important because you want to understand what are the trade-offs or priorities that they're going to make in the moment in their lives and what's truly important to them that they'll elevate over other things that, that might matter but be less important at a particular time. And so in essence, to understand the job to be done someone has, you basically want to watch what they do, not what they say. Yeah. Uh, and, in, and the reason for that is people lie all the time when you ask them, hey, why did you go to such and such college? Or why did you buy this product? Or why did you buy this service? And they lie not because they mean to or, or because they're mendacious people, but you lie because you actually just don't know why you did something, mm. you, you did it. And so if you can recreate the movie of that actual choosing experience, you can understand what were the dominoes in place? What were the trade-offs that they made? What were the steps uh, from a causal perspective that caused them to actually make the choice that they did. And so the way we reconstruct that movie is basically doing really deep interviews with students, not to ask them why they made the decision that they did, but to ask them to retrace the steps uh, around the story and then to interrogate them effectively mm -hmm. uh, to try to dig at what was the truth behind, uh, behind something. And so we did 209 of these stories of students making the post-secondary choice. And then subsequent to that, we've done probably another 50 or so uh, stories since then, and, and then survey work of about 1,500 students uh, to really understand what was that movie and the language that they used to describe the, the trade-offs that they made, not sort of in a, in a vacuum of why they think they did it, but to just understand how they talk about it and be able to reflect that language in the book. And that resulted in the five jobs to be done, if you will, that we discovered. So Michael, given the five different jobs, as I was reading it, I was interpreting them sort of as categories representing how people are motivated to pursue learning after high school. It's more than that, I think, but I was just interested in your reaction to sort of thinking of them as motivational categories. I think that's exactly right, honestly. The, the only sort of subtlety or addition I might say to it is it's the sets of motivations. So it's mm -hmm. acknowledging, right, that we don't do something for one reason in our, in our lives. There's lots of influences, some of which are functional, many of which are social and emotional. And if we can categorize all of those uh, forces acting on us, those motivations, the pushes that are saying, hey, you know, we can't keep doing this anymore, and the pulls, what's exciting to us about the college we might attend and so forth. Uh, how can we see the jobs to be done methodology essentially says, 
how do these things move together or apart from each other, and then tries to cluster those forces to, to get approximations of a set of the reasons uh, that, that, that we're doing something. And that's what we call a job to be done, if you will. Would you mind just giving us a very brief overview of the five different jobs? Totally. So the first one we found is help me get into my best school. So these are students who are going in uh, really to get into their best for its own sake. They want the brick and mortar experience. They want the quote unquote classic college experience to reinvent themselves with new people and so forth. Uh, and importantly, it's as they define the best. So some students, that might be the US News and World Report rankings. For some students, if you live in a rural area with only two colleges that anyone in your community has ever attended to, uh, attended, it might be one of those, right? But it's getting into the best. It's not necessarily what you'll do with the experience once you've got in. Mm. Uh, the second one is what we call help me do what's expected of me. So this is basically the flip side of the best school uh, experience or, or job. And it's people who are going to do what someone else expects them to do. And so they're doing it to satisfy others, in essence, like their parents, their guidance counselor, their teachers, it's, you know, their peers, it's sort of, you're going to go to school and I can't see any other options. It's the logical next step. And I'm going to go ahead with it. But they're incredibly apathetic about the decision. Hmm. The third job that we found is what we call help me get away. So these are students who are running from something, but not necessarily towards something. It's more that college or school is a socially acceptable thing they can say they're going to go do. Uh, but it's all about the act of escaping, you know, an abusive stepfather at home, a bad uh, a family life, a bad hometown, whatever it might be. But it's all about the act of running, not necessarily what they're going toward. Uh, the fourth job that we found is what we call help me step it up. So these are students who look around and they say, I like large parts of my life, but this thing I'm doing or this job I'm doing right now or this habit I'm in, it's just not who I am. And, and there's some sort of event happening in my life. I'm about to have a kid. I'm a, I, I have a mortgage now. I have people relying on me, whatever it might be. That's basically saying it's now or never. I've got to go back to school to invest in myself uh, so I can, I can be who I'm truly meant to be and step it up in my life. Uh, and then the last one we found is what we're calling help me extend myself. So these are students who life is actually pretty good in all facets, uh, but they've always yearned to be more, do more, challenge themselves, and they really want to invest in themselves in some ways. And education is the answer to that. And so uh, they, they go back to school to extend themselves. And if it doesn't work out, it'll be okay, but they're thrilled with the opportunity to, to, see, uh, to challenge themselves and see what they can learn. It's interesting. As you are describing them, I didn't do this when I read it, interestingly enough, but in hearing you describing it, I was walking through my own family's experience with my daughter, who is now a first-year college student. And um, just kind of how over, she, she, I guess she invested about three years of serious effort into considering her options, uh, applying, and then making her final decision. And I mean, these categories aren't mutually exclusive, right? Because at various points, I could see her moving among those jobs. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah. you move between them. I, I, I would say, you know, you're probably not in multiple of them at a given point in time, but over time, right, you that's fair. Them. Yeah. And so the one quick story I would tell is there was a student we talked to, uh, we don't profile him in the book, but uh, uh, he's, he's not too far from where, where, where you are today. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he was looking at schools like Johns Hopkins, uh, and very clearly was in the help me get into my best school job. Uh, came from a low-income minority background, 
And as he looked around himself, he, he said, gosh, I want an experience that's really going to hold my hand and put a ton of support around me so I can step it up and make sure that I don't live the life that my parents have. Um, and super bright student, went to a, uh, a regional uh, university in his state uh, instead of a place like Johns Hopkins, uh, basically to say, um, I need to step it up. Like, and so he very clearly in the course of his college decision process and even through the visits actually moved from the help me get into my best school job into the help me step it up, which was super interesting to watch as he told the story. So for our listeners, I, you have this feature within the book where you have uh, cartoons pretty much at the end of sort of describing each of these mindsets about college. And um, I admit that when I first saw them, I thought, oh, cartoons. But um, but I really, really love them. And what you do, which I think is really, really clever, I'm very interested in why you took this approach, but you kind of have a cartoon about, okay, if you're talking to a student, if you're talking to your child and they say X, you could say Y, which isn't great, or you could say Z, where Z is really what is really how you can support them the best. So it was sort of a best case, worst case scenario side by side. And it really summed up what you were talking about in each of those sections. So I'm just I'm just curious on why you decided to go with that, because it really worked for me. Yeah, so I'm super appreciative that it worked uh, for you. Uh, and I admit I'm not like a cartoon or graphics person myself. And so it took a bit of convincing that that was the direction to go. But I, I think what, what happened was two things uh, as we were writing the book. One, uh, my initial draft of the book was much wonkier and much more hmm. sort of for institutions. And I had wanted it to be more of a self-help book to help someone make a better choice. And uh, I was super influenced by the uh, the book, uh, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen uh, mm. by Adele Faber and her colleague. Uh, and they have cartoons in the back, which have been incredibly helpful in my own life with my kids about how, about what to say and not say. And I thought, gee, that's a super interesting model. And then the other thing I read was uh, the Daniel Pink book. Uh, he had experimented. It's like the Adventures of Johnny Bunko or something like that. It's a manga style book, Japanese, you know, cartoon sort of novel. And I thought to myself, my, my wife was really pushing me on this. She said, you know, you could do something like this to really distill this down to its essence mm. and make it super clear. And because you've heard the language that the students themselves wrap around these decisions, why not just use that in the cartoons in actual dialogue and let that speak to your advantage in, in helping someone think through how they might have this conversation with their kid or, or, or a friend? Uh, and so that was sort of the motivation for it. And, and as you said, to distill it down to its essence, it was not, it's not the way I think. Uh, and, but, uh, but I, I'm really pleased we actually went with it in the end. Yeah. It, uh, it, it just works so, so well. Um, so this, this is a book that really seems, uh, so you have mentioned several times that it's really aimed for the students, but I, I saw it as really being helpful for parents, especially too. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, if I'm being honest, I think parents are the number one audience, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah, and that's that makes because sense. I, you know, are students really going to read a book? I, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty readable. It's pretty short. Uh, but the, but still I'm being realistic. Uh, and so I think parents are the number one audience for it. I think it will then turn back on themselves and they'll say, I'm reading it not just as a parent now, but as a student, you know, in, in, in wherever stage of life I'm in, right, in my 50s or what, whatnot, as I navigate my next uh, action. 
Uh, and so I think it'll sort of toggle back and forth between those two of parent and student. And then the third audience, obviously, at the end of the book, is it's a bunch of advice for the educators themselves and higher ed right. institutions to hopefully, and, and it's definitely not a cookbook, right? There's not enough specificity there, but hopefully to start them thinking through how would we use this to design better experiences. Well, that's all the time that we have today. Our guest has been Michael Horn. He, along with his co-author Bob Mesta, is the author of the brand new book, Choosing College, How to Make Better Learning Decisions Throughout Your Life. I will make sure that links to the book are in this week's show notes. Again, uh, we've been speaking with Michael Horn. He's a senior partner at Entangled Solutions and a a co-founder and distinguished fellow at the Clayton Christensen Institute. Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Bright Now. Tell us what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes by emailing your suggestions to brightnowpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy Bright Now, support us by sharing the podcast with friends on social media, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Bright Now is produced by Jonathan Pucker, Tracy Guerin, and Trisha Schellenbach. Audio production by Iris Starkangelo and the team at Clean Cuts, a Three C's company. Our score was written by Austin Coughlin from Noise Distillery. Special thanks to CTY's Interim Executive Director, Amy Shelton. Bright Now is underwritten by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, a nonprofit dedicated to identifying and developing the talents of academically advanced students worldwide. Find us on the web at cty.jhu.edu and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.